This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Today's episode is a chat with Alexandra Billings. You might know Alexandra from her work on Transparent. She is awesome on that show. We had a very interesting conversation, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Also, if you happen to live in the bitter cold that is Buffalo, New York, I will be there the 24th, 25th, 26th doing shows. I think I'm going to go see the Buffalo Buttes, who are the professional women's hockey team. Oh, I can't wait. Anyway, please enjoy today's episode and see ya in Buffalo. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. On on this podcast, I always have folks introduce themselves. Would you mind introducing yourself? No, yeah, sure. Now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already started. It's happening. It's currently (laughs) happening. Holy crap. Don't you love it when it's just, hi, I'm Alexandra Billings, and I'm talking to you. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm Cameron. It's nice, to, it's nice to meet you, Alexandra. And, um, you what too. Else, do you want to say anything else about yourself? You don't have to, but I'm, I'm curious sometimes as to like what people talk about when they introduce themselves. I don't know. What should I say about myself? Like an introduction, like, my God, what do I say? Uh, I am married and I am a professor of acting at USC and I'm an actor. I didn't know two Is of those things. things I am? <laughs> you didn't? Which didn't what didn't you know? What didn't you know? I didn't know you were a professor. I didn't know you were married. Um just because I didn't I don't really look into my guess uh personal life. Of course I'm familiar with your work no. as an actor, but um I didn't know those two things. You're a professor, how long have we'll you been see. how long have you been teaching? I, oh, how long have I been teaching? I've been teaching since 1920, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> 1990 something, early 90s, like wow. early 90s. So that's yeah, a lot of students that you've shaped. I have uh, taught millions and millions of students and, you know, I really believe that they have shaped me much more than I could possibly ever, ever shape. I was just teaching a class, actually, strangely, a couple of days ago. And uh, it was a class of transgender, queer, and binary actors specifically for them. I was a guest teacher. Um, This is a class that was developed by an actor producer named Rain Valdez. She's amazing. And she made up this class and it's been going on since like August. But anyway, she and we know each other from Transparent and she asked me to come and guest teach. So I was teaching and they were just fantastic. It was just great. It was just, it was beautiful. And, and, you know, when you get a bunch of us in a room, especially as artists, you know, trans people and everybody that fits under the umbrella, when you get a bunch of us in a room, the history just in and of itself is enough to shake the building. But so we finished the class and we were talking and one of the, uh, actors said, um, wow, you have a lot of energy. And I said, yes, I, I do. I have a lot of energy. And they said, where does it come from? And I said, well, you all, meaning students, any students, saved my life. Because when I began to transition, I was also a young teacher. And I started my transition in 1980. And I was acting, but I was also teaching part-time. And you guys were the only humans that were not sitting in judgment of me. You accepted me wholly, completely, and totally. And I don't know that I could ever live long enough on the planet to repay that kindness. So when you say that I have shaped them, really it's the uh, other way around. Where were you teaching at the time? In Back the, when I first started? Yeah, in the 80s when that was happening and you felt so accepted by your students. Where, uh, where were you teaching at the time? 
Chicago, Illinois. Oh, that's where I'm from. I'm from Chicago. Get out of here. No, Are yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Where, where were you teaching in Chicago? I was teaching at Jane Brody, <laughs> the Jane Brody Studio. You know Jane? I am familiar with her name. I don't know that we know each other, but I, I know that I think she might know my sibling, actually. Um, oh. But yeah, um, that's amazing. You were, you were, well, j- I mean, just that I'm vaguely familiar with some of, I love when paths intersect, you know, when we, oh, yeah, when we have context for each too. other's lives. So you, you were living in Chicago. Is that, where are you from? I'm actually from California. I was born here where I am right now. And uh, I, I was born in Inglewood, California. And then we lived all over. Uh, Southern California until I was about 10 when my parents divorced and then my mother remarried and her my new stepdad got transferred back in the day when you actually worked for a company and they told you what to do right. which doesn't I don't think happen so much anymore um, and we moved to Illinois and then we moved to a small suburb called Schaumburg and I lived I lived there when I was about from when I was about 11 to when I was about 19. And then I moved into city, north side of the city when I began my transition right after high school. Wow. I'm very familiar with Schaumburg. I'm from Western Springs, which is not that far away. Um, That's where I grew up. I grew up. I don't know where that is. Um, It's a little bit due. It's a little bit due south, maybe of Schaumburg, um, but but a similar amount west of the city. And that's first of all that's that's amazing that that's where you grew up and then you moved to the north side i bet also similar places uh that i've lived in my life um you you started transitioning you said right right after 19 you started your transition like in your early late 19 early 20 i yeah i was as soon as i got out of high school because my parents said well you need to go to college because that's what people do or else you're going to die and i was like well the thing is, if I go to college, I probably will die because, I mean, I couldn't tell them this because this was a very long time ago. Remember when I started my transition, it was only 10 years, a decade after Stonewall. So, you know, gay, you know, homosexuals were still looked at as sort of this dangerous, very, you know, this lethal plague that was infesting America. It was really just awful. So to be transgender and we didn't have that word back then but to be transgender was just it didn't make any sense it was sort of like if somebody came up to you and said you know i really think i'm an octopus like deep down it's like what are you talking about (laughs) that's how weird it was back then people were like i don't know what that means so i told my parents i said i because i have a brother who went to college who became sort of the golden boy and did everything great and i didn't and i said i can't go to college and they said, why? And I said, well, I want to be an actor. And my dad, who was in the business, who was a musical director and a teacher, strangely, uh, both my parents were teachers. Uh, my dad said, well, you should go to college then because it's perfect. You could take acting lessons and study acting. And, I, and in my head, my inner voice said, yes, but then I would be in this vessel and I would still have to pretend that I'm a boy. And then I would probably die because I tried to kill myself twice. And the next time it's good, it's going to work. So I, and I don't want to die. But what I told them was, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and actually be an actor. I'm going to go do that. And then if that doesn't work, if in like five years, I love how actors give each other five years. We always give five <laughs> years for everything. In five years, I'll be married. In five years, I'll have two feet. But I, so I said five years. And if it doesn't happen, then I'll go to college. And then I actually never went, weirdly. Did it because... Until in, later. <laughs> because within five years, were you working oh, which, as an actor? Which, well, I was working. Sure. Wow. Yeah. I was working. I was, I was working at, uh, in drag, I was, that we, at the time, that's what we called it, uh, as, uh, as a showgirl at the Baton on Clark Street. Uh, so that's where I was. I started at a place called Club Victoria, which is no longer there on Broadway. And I 
So here's what happened. I suppose this is interesting. Is it at all interesting what I'm saying? Yes, I'm loving it. I'm I'm just like I'm just okay, listening thanks. with rapt at- right. attention, truly, and and okay, trying to God, ask follow up questions. I, it's so much easier when you can see my face because my face is going. Oh yes, tell me more. <laughs> I mean, okay, I, good, good. Because I, I sometimes when I talk, I feel like Alex. Shut up. No. You know what is so cool about this is like, you know, you you and I, um, we're not so far apart in age. um, And also we figured out some things about ourselves in similar times. I figured out that I was a queer person um, at 19. But when I when I came out and was 19 in, uh, you know, 2000 and to I guess one thing that is true is like I I I felt like I was discovering queerness on my own because now I mean things are not better uh for many many people one thing that we do have is the internet to at least create like a through line or a record of our history like that we have existed before but I really felt like when I figured out that I was a queer person because of where I was raised and how I was raised I didn't know any other queer people I certainly didn't know anybody that was like gender nonconforming or trans person I didn't know I didn't know anybody that was anything like me and so I kind of thought I was like inventing all of this history on my own. So to hear that, like, you know, just uh, not too long before me in a, in a neighborhood not too far away from where I was, like, you were living this history, it's very interesting. Like, I'm, I'm loving hearing what you have to say. Does that make any sense? It's like... That makes tons of sense. Thank God. Well, yeah, I, mean, it's, I think it's, you're absolutely right because we have to be careful about how we talk about the past because I, I have said over and over again you know, that, it, that the rev- revolutionary act for me as a trans person in the early, in the late 70s and early 80s was simply walking out the door. And I said that recently at a round table with Laverne Cox, and she turned to me and she said, listen, that's still a revolutionary act. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. So, I, you know, I, maybe I should only speak about myself. I need to be really careful about saying, oh my God, it was so much more something before than it is now. That's not true at all. So what I do now is I just say, it was, this is how it was. And how it is now is how it's now and how it is now. And we have tons of work left to do because we do. Because it still is dangerous and it still is uh, lethal. We're still losing lives. Absolutely. Well, and there are also folks um, every age in every city um, that are that are also part of our family. So I just, I think it's rad to hear, like, I love that you're naming places. So tell me more about this time in your life when you're, when you're figuring out um, who you are. Uh, your- let's see. Where was I in my exciting and thrilling life? <laughs> oh, I, so. Terrible <laughs> laugh. That was a terrible so, laugh was, that you just got out of me. Like a horrifying no, laugh. No, that was great. Good. Thank God. Yeah, um, you're, yeah, you're welcome. I, so I went to, you know, the reason these stories are so fresh in my mind is because I'm actually writing my autobiography, like as I'm oh, good. speaking to you. Well, not as I'm speaking to you, I'm not writing while I'm talking to you, but like <laughs> in my life. Anyway, so I, here's what happened. I was this, you know, kid from Schaumburg, a, you know, suburb of Chicago, knowing that I had always dressed up in my mother's clothes and lip synced to Barbra Streisand, especially her live concerts and Judy Garland, her Carnegie Hall album, which I did entire concerts for and also had intermissions, by the way. So you got to have an intermission. I've been doing it. You do. You well, do. if you don't, then you're not doing a concert. So shut it. That's right. So I was like, okay, I know that I'm bizarre and I know there's something wrong with me and it's terribly shameful and I shouldn't do it out in public, but I don't know what it is. So I also was on the, the prowl to be an actor. So I, we, my friend Barb, who's still my friend, is 1980. And I, we go to Chicago. We take a drive into the big city and we go into the big city and we stop at this bar. It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. We go into this bar and we're having a couple of drinks because I'm a raging alcoholic. And so I have a drink and there's this woman behind the bar and she's very tall, beautiful, and sounds like Lord Bacall. And behind her is this sign and it says Thursday night, talent night. And I'm like, oh my God, I have talent. I have tons of talent. I should totally be here. for th-. So I turn to the woman and I go, excuse me. I would like to be here. Can, what do you, can I do anything for talent mind? She I said, yes, you can do absolutely anything. She literally sounded like Laura Bacall. Yes, you can do absolutely anything. <laughs> I was like, 
I'm totally coming. Where do I sign up? We'll sign right here. So I sign my name. We go back home, Barb and I finish our drinks. Go back home. I'm home. And I'm like, oh my God, what do I do? I have so much talent. What should I, should I sing? Should I dance? Should I tell jokes? Because I have so, like, I don't even know where to start. And Barb, Barb goes, you know, it's a nightclub. So you should do, mind you, we're 20. She goes, no, it's a nightclub. You should do something. <laughs> you should do something really sexy. It's like, okay. She goes, you should strip. And I'm like, yes, I can totally strip. I strip every night. Perfect. I know how to do that. Perfect. Right? Come on. Yeah. That, I mean, talent. So I get, well, so I get my album, remember albums back in the day, but they're big, for those kids that are listening, those are big spherical things with little holes in the middle of it. So I got my album, my Flashdance album. And remember the scene in Flashdance, the movie, you can look it up on the YouTube kids, Flashdance movie. And she's in her chair and she yanks the chain and splashy with the water. Remember that? Um, only indelibly. Right. Of course, because you're amazing. So I thought, well, that is perfect. I will take off my clothes. And at the right time, Barb will be standing in the wind <laughs> with a big tub of water. <laughs> and then splashy. And it'll be naked. I'll be and it'll people will be like, ah, it'll be crazy. And I'll win talent night and I'll be discovered and everything's going to be great. So I practiced oh my, my God. routine, taking off my clothes, and I the only thing I had that was even remotely sexy was, because I was taking dance class at the time, I was a terrible dancer, but I was taking dance class because I thought I was brilliant, was a dance belt. If you've ever seen a dance belt. I have seen a dance back belt. back in the 80s were like, okay, like back in the 80s, they were like big V, they look like diapers, big V in the front, and then little thing on the crack of your hoo-ha in the back. Just horrible. Not sexy at all, but to me, super sexy. So that's what I was going to strip down to, like strip down to the dance belt, because that's awesome. So we get the routine together. We come back on Thursday night. I go to the club. I go downstairs because the, the dressing rooms were downstairs. Uh, um, and on the main level was the stage. So the stage was directly above the dressing rooms. So I go downstairs and there are all these women. There's no men. There's just women. And they all look like showgirls, like a Las Vegas review. And I'm like, well, maybe that's just the cast and I'm the only one here for talent night. So that's great because I'm going to win. And so like everybody and everyone was gorgeous, gorgeous. I couldn't, I was like, I'm in the middle of a model thing. Like what is happening? And they all spoke like Lauren Bacall and B. Arthur and Elaine Stritch. Everyone, everyone <laughs> sounded, they were like, oh, I passed the powder. I was like, wow, this is amazing. So, cause what do I know? I know nothing. So I sit down and I have my clothes, my little dance bag, and Barbara has the big tub of water and she goes upstairs to fill it. She fills it in the bathroom. She goes backstage to wait for my thing. And people are going up and back and I'm hearing like Jennifer Holliday and Barbara Streisand and Cher and I'm thinking, this is the gayest goddamn show I've ever, this is amazing. But I didn't know what they were doing because they were upstairs, right? I thought they were just dancing to like, don't rain over my parade. I thought, well, that's brave. <laughs> So, I this is all true. This is all completely no, true. No, no, it, it has to be true. Also, just even the name Barb. It's you know, so, it's the right name. I, oh, Barb. Bless her heart, Barb. And so she, and she will confirm this story, by the way. She loves this story. So, so she's backstage now, and I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to go on. And she's sitting, God, I haven't told the story in so long. She's sitting backstage with a big cup of water ready to, you know, splashy at the right moment when I'm naked. Because I figure I'll take off my clothes to the song. Oh, when I was dancing to the song, Manhunt. I'm going on a manhunt. <laughs> you know, that song. <laughs> so that song I'm taking off my clothes to. May I just remind you I'm stripping to my dance belt. And then when I get my dance belt, she splashes me with water for no reason. Remember, <laughs> there's nothing above me. There's no, there's no reason. Out of nowhere comes a bucket of water. <laughs> I just want everyone to follow me. Yeah, I'm yeah. I've got you. Tonight. I've got you. I've got you. Okay. So I'm on stage. I'm dancing and I'm taking off my clothes and the music's playing and the lights are going around. And, I, and I'm having the best time and I'm thinking I'm killing it. I'm killing it. And mostly, I noticed in the audience, are, are men. I'm like, well, it's mostly, that's odd. It's strange for talent night, but whatevs. 
so I'm dancing, and then I get to the dance belt and splash you with the water, and it didn't really go very well because most of the water landed on the audience and the tub slipped out of her hands and kind of landed on stage. But the point is that the water came out. And so now I'm standing there in my dance belt, sort of wet. Most of the audience is more wet than I am, and I have my big ta-da gesture, and I literally see people with a look on their face like, what? the balls like they couldn't didn't know what was and people are whispering going do you know what's happening what's going who what that poor child like they just couldn't believe it and just sort of a polite smattering of applause like clappity clappity <laughs> clap and i was like oh this did not go well at all so i go downstairs i pick up the tub i go downstairs i sit barb goes out in the audience and then the show goes on, the show ends, we all go upstairs, we take a bow, me and 500 very, very extremely tall ladies, and I take a bow, and then we go downstairs, and then people start taking off their clothes to get ready, and they start talking, well, let's go to have a drink, and they start taking off their clothes, and as they're taking off their clothes, they're taking off wigs, then they're taking off lashes, then they're taking off, and some of them are taking off, like, parts of foam rubber, and I'm like, what the hell and then i hear knockity knock 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 like fierce knocking like knock 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 and i i'm like well i'll get it so i go to the door i open the door like a crack because everybody's naked and it's barb and barb has this ferociously terrified look on her face her eyes are as big as saucers and she goes jesus christ do you know where we are and i said no where are we and she said we're in a drag bar and i said what's a drag bar <laughs> I have no fucking I so I turn and as I turned I'm looking at like 80% boys now some of the girls look just like women like topless women but most of them were boys with short hair and just boys with boy bodies and I stood there at the door in my dance belt and I looked at these humans and I saw how, how happy and joyful and free and how much fun they were having. And I said, I found my family. Oh man. And that was the beginning of my, that was the beginning of my transition right there. And that was club Victoria. That was the first place they ended up hiring me and I ended up working there. Oh, wow. They hired you off of that. Like, <laughs> just utterly killer performance? Well, Basically. no, yeah, because it was a travesty. No, what happened was, afterwards, I went to Barb, like, the next day, because then it took a while for it to sink in and, like, just be in me, in my inner space. And I woke up the next day, and I said to Barb, I said, you know what? I'm going to go next week for talent night, and I'm going to lip sync. And she, without batting an eye, was like, that's a great idea. I have a dress you can wear. So literally, the first time I lip synced, I lip synced, this is the very first song I ever lip synced to, was Barbara Streisand singing How Lucky Can You Get from Funny Lady, not Funny Girl, in a white sundress with yellow wedgies. That was my first costume. Oh, my God, yes. And they hired me. I know. They hired me off of that. Can I also ask, because um, I'm trying to get the timeline right, but would that have also been like one of the first times that you maybe wore a dress in front of other human beings? like getting up there for for that performance? Or were you already wearing dresses in your human walking around non-professional life? Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that was the very first time was up on stage. Yeah, no. And it took me a while to say to myself that I was transitioning because mm -hmm. the only time I... I I wore any kind of women's clothes. I mean, you say that now and it's sort of like a ridiculous thing to say now, women's clothes. But back then, uh, what we deemed to be women's clothes was on stage. I never did that in my life, in public, ever. It was a job for like, a, I think about a year. It was a job, it was a job. Until my best friend, Ginger uh, Spice, said to me as we were driving home, she said, I had these weird sort of, a pinnacle moments in my life, strangely. She said, uh, we were in the car and she said, when are you going to make a decision? And I said, what do you mean? We were coming home from a show. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know what I mean. When are you going to make a decision? She goes, 
And she pointed at my body. She said, because this is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And I knew exactly what she meant. And I said, I, it was pretty profound. And I said, I'm terrified because remember we were still being arrested at that time, which I did spend many times in jail for walking around for what they called in drag. So we were being systematically hunted in a very, very specific way by police. And I said, I'm just afraid that I'm, I'm going to, you know, be, I'm not going to be passable. I'm just, I'm just afraid that that's going to be true. And she said, that's not the point. The point is, when are you going to make this decision? Wow. So the next day I got up and I put on a dress, I think, and I put on my red, my favorite red pumps. I put on a little bit of makeup. I did my hair. I went out in the middle of the day and I said to myself, or maybe to God or to the universe, I said out loud, if anything, I'm going to walk around the neighborhood. If anything happens to me, anything, I know that that's a sign that I cannot live this way. If anything happens to me. So this was high noon on the north side of Chicago in like 1981-82. Any kind of trans person walking around was fair game. Not just for being arrested or the police, but I mean for violence of any kind, just waiting. And I walked around that neighborhood for probably a half an hour and nothing happened. And when I got home, I said, okay. I'm grabbing my face right now. <laughs> that's what's happening on this end. I just moved me to articulate it. That oh, that's beautiful. Really Isn't that weird? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, also like high bar that you set for yourself, <laughs> but um, unbelievable. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, but unbelievably <laughs> yeah. beautiful. That's an unbelievably beautiful story. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Do you mind my asking about you spending, you saying you you got arrested and spent time? Again, it's like, oh man, I, I just feel like, um, I mean, I know these are, these are true things. I'm so glad you're writing a book. And I'm so glad that, that you are willing to talk to me and that we're chatting with each other right now. And like, this is all, um, it's not like this is even our history because this is all still happening, but um, mm-hmm. that hasn't happened to me. That particular thing hasn't happened to me. And I, if you are, if you feel comfortable talking to about it, I, I'd really like to hear your experience of, um, you know, being stopped, what that would have been like, or being arrested, like well, where I, that first, was happening. The, yeah. The very first time it happened, I was walking down, I was walking literally a block away from my house and I was going to get a pack of cigarettes and I was walking across the street and this police car passed me, made a U-turn, came back and pulled up next to me and uh, a policeman got out and grabbed me by both hands and put me up against the car and began to read me my rights. And I, and I had no idea what was going on. I knew that you could be arrested, but it, this was just shocking to me. And I said, what are you, what's going on? What's happening? And he said, you're not allowed. This is exactly what he said to me. You're not allowed to walk around the streets of Chicago like this unless you are wearing two articles of male clothing. 
And I said, what, you mean like tube socks? <laughs> I don't understand what the fuck you're doing. So that didn't go over well. So he handcuffed me and put me in jail. And he put me in what they call, I don't know if they have these anymore, but they call them uh, a holding cell. And back then, a whole, I mean, I haven't been in jail for a really long time, uh, but a holding cell is kind of where they put people who have to make parking tickets or, or speeding or, you know, that kind of thing. You're not a murderer or a, you know, a, um, you didn't just beat somebody up or something like that. Right. Uh, however, it was men and women and all kinds of, I mean, there was no like female holding cell and male holding cell and trans holding cell. There was no such thing. Everybody was, so I was put in with a bunch of people, I'd say like 10 or 11 other people. And that did not go well at all. They were uh, very cruel, very violent in their language. Um, one of them came at me physically and I yelled for help. And luckily the bailiffs came. I don't know if they're called bailiffs anymore. I mean, uh, bailiffs and uh, they might be called something else, but somebody came and split us up. And But it was bad. And I was there for, they could only hold me for 24 hours and then somebody bailed me out. I don't remember who. Wow. But they had to bail me out actually bail me out right i mean it's not like the moment that you got uh it's not like there's any safety in this story that you're telling me there's no there's no uh, moment where then um like public opinion and the law or the person in power is then on your side like at, at this time in that i think well that's really smart what you just said because that i think is the is the big difference between because things are still bad but that is the big difference between now and, and before, is that there are more people, not enough, but more people in this country that are for us than there are against us. Back in the 80s, no one was for us. No one. And the people that did come, because I slept with everyone. You're the only person I haven't had sex with. I had sex <laughs> yet. with everybody. So, and yes, yes. I, the operative word being yes. So, and I had, I slept with men and women and I find everyone attractive. I don't discriminate when it comes to that. I find everyone attractive. So I slept with everybody and the men that I slept with were so ashamed of themselves and ashamed of the kind of sex that we had. And even of our friendship, if we had one, if it was, you know, sex and friendship, that they wouldn't take me out during the day. They wouldn't be seen with me in the daylight. It was a very rare occasion when I had an actual boyfriend who would who became not only my lover but a friend as well. So even the people that supported us, the reason I'm saying that is mm -hmm. even the people that supported us, the audiences that came to see us, they wouldn't admit it or they would say we're going to see the freaks. So we really had next to no one on our side. No, I mean, I think that's that's huge that you pointed that out and and really important, um, especially the intimate the intimate partner piece because, you know, I think about um, there are so many reasons that cis women should stand with or um, be in solidarity with with every other you know type of person, but but especially trans women. Um, like there's so many reasons. I mean, number one is just uh, seeing another person as a human being. But what you're describing, that feeling of um, shame that a person might have being with you, being seen with you, sleeping with you, being interested in you, um, and that feeling of controlling you, um, that the threat of violence that could break out from that, like that is actually something that cis women should be able to relate to and isolate as a thing that could, you know, just em em empathically hearing you talk about that, even though uh, trans women are more at risk for intimate par partner violence leading to, you know, death. Like right now, that's a, that's a huge problem. Um, that's also something like, like, I am at risk for that too. And I have been put in terrible positions by men. And so you telling me that story and you describing things like that, to me, w one thing I... Um, you know, I mean, maybe it's a little bit easier for me because I am a queer person, but I just, um, especially since there are so many, not so many, but especially because there are cisgendered lesbians who for some reason have a hard time um, being empathic. That what you described is something I, I 
can understand, you know, like I can understand that feeling. That's a feeling that I have, you know, the, have had. The thing that we forget is that all of us on the planet come from one divine source. That's right. And even if you don't believe in God or uh, any kind of force that's bigger than you or greater than you, even if, even if you just believe in you uh, or the planet, all of us on the planet just scientifically, molecularly, scientifically, molecularly, factually come from one central place, which makes us much more the same than we yes. are different, much That's more right. the same. And the thing that we forget is that we come into this world compact, right? We come into this world knowing that that's true, feeling that that's true. That's instinctual that we are the same. What happens is we then grow up being told how different we are from each other. And then what happens is we are told because, and, and usually with the greatest of intentions, because we want, we want to keep each other safe, we are then told difference equals fear. And if we don't educate ourselves, and I'm not talking about pieces of paper, I mean in the human experience, if we do not educate ourselves, if we do not keep ourselves curious about others who are not like us, that continues and gets bigger and takes up more space. The fear takes up more space in us. If you look at the guy who's pretending to be president right now, yep. his People keep saying, oh, he's so stupid and he's dumb and he's an idiot and he's, he's none of those things. He's fearful because he doesn't stand for anything. He, he doesn't hate trans people. He couldn't care less about us. He doesn't know. He, it doesn't make any sense to him. It doesn't make any sense to him. A transgender person doesn't make any sense to him because he's uneducated. And that's not about being smart or stupid. That's about fear. I don't want to learn more. I fear if I learn more, because this is what I was taught, I will find out about the other. And I don't want to do that because they're dangerous. You know, it's one of the first things he said. Those people that are coming from the other side of the wall are dangerous. They're dangerous people, right? Mm -hmm. they're dangerous people. So to narrow it down, when you look at human behavior, meaning when you look at the way cis women and trans women and cis men and trans men, and all those in between, navigate the planet, you're not looking at their spiritual experience. You're looking at their behavior, which is all learned. What I mean to say is gender is learned, period. Mm -hmm. It is not innate, it is not inbred, it is not hormonal, it has nothing to do with anything except here's the way you're going to behave. You like pink and you like blue. You play with dolls and you play with trucks, period. That's it, I don't want any more discussion about this. And that's what we're taught. So every time I am faced with any human, whether they're a cis female or male or whatever, however they identify, Every time I'm faced with any human who resists any kind of inclusion, I know immediately I'm dealing with fear. And so I start from a place of education. And education doesn't have to be demeaning. You don't have to be an asshole about it. You can work from a place of kindness and empathy and simply say, not sympathy, but empathy, and simply say, hey, why don't you tell me about you? Let me in on where you are first, and then I'll tell you about me. And I'll bet, because this is what's happened to me after 56 years of being on the planet and having had many conversations with many different kinds of people. Usually what happens is you begin to find the center from which we all were birthed. Yeah, that's beautiful. And and yes. Well, it worked. <laughs> I mean, thank you. But it also worked. Really. Yes, of course. Of course. Of course. I do think that if, you know, when, whenever I, um, well, I, I've been noticing the last, so I'm a stand-up comic. 
And besides doing this podcast and a bunch of other things, one thing I do is I tour the country a lot. So I've been out on three major tours since uh, Trump is elected, one on a bus, one like, I mean, just all over, like, so I've been all over the country and uh, it's been a really amazing time actually to be all over the country because we're, (laughs) yeah, I mean, we're being taught this thing where I think is, I mean, I don't know. When I look at like what, what's happening with like the times doing those, those pieces about like, uh, you know, white folks in the middle of America being upset about losing whatever it is, like farm subsidies or, you know, the opportunity to, or they live in West Virginia and like the mines are closing, you know, all those um, human interest pieces. I just think that one thing that is left out of that is that this is not a uniform country. Like it, it just, it, it just isn't like not everybody in West Virginia is a white man that just lost their job in the mine. In fact, there's like a lot of people of a lot of different races and, and, uh, genders and sexual orientations literally everywhere. We are dispersed everywhere. And, and yes, there are places where, um, the demographics are different. Like, you know, there, Philadelphia has a higher population of black folks than like maybe say a rural town in Iowa that has 10 people, (laughs) you know, like that, that's, that is true. But I just think in terms of what you're saying, I also think another thing that is being like simplified out is this idea that, well, like difference is scary. And also that we don't have, that we don't have difference in our schools, in our neighborhoods on the same block with us, that we don't have the same, that we don't have different people all paying into the same, same, you know, tax system that's rebuilding our roads. That's another thing that I think we would all benefit from is, you know, when we, for instance, when when uh, when a law is on the books that hurts like queer folks, you know, an easy way to get folks to not care about that is to assume that that doesn't affect anybody that they know. And it's not just like knowing somebody personally, but also just the way that we talk about our distribution everywhere. You know, like we you literally already know us, even if you think you don't know us. <laughs> You already know us. We're, we yeah. are we we are everywhere. Yeah. We've always been everywhere. So that's something that I think about when it comes to like this this concept of fear right now is that part of it is um, also this like yeah just like this smoothing out that is not allowing for the nuance of what's really happening. Like well, the, the people that you, are being know, racist great. are being racist against their neighbors. You know, like that. If we put it that way, you know, it's like. Oh yes, absolutely. You know? But you remember that ra- racists will uh, uh, travel with other racists. They of course, into those neighborhoods because you know that's the, 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 I love social media, and one of the reasons I love social media is because of bridges that it builds to communities all over the world that mm-hmm. would never in a million years be able to come in contact with a trans person. So every time I post anything, and I'm avid on the Instagram and on the Facebook, uh, I am very clear about why I'm posting what I'm posting. I know I, it's, it's very calculated. Never, I, it seems a lot like I just post stuff, but it's very, very calculated. And sure. I can't tell you, just in the last, since Trump has been pretend elected, I can't tell you how many messages I've received that are from trans people just coming out because they've seen yes. these posts. Yes. And I don't post hyper-political stuff. I don't post, I mean, all my stuff is political, but I don't post, you know, things like, you know, down with the, smash the patriarchy. Sometimes I do, but that most of my stuff is like my wife and I eating ice cream or my cats. I post a lot of, because I think my cats are fascinating. I just think they're fascinating. (laughs) And so I, but I mean, I post it like, here's Cocoa Pebbles. Like I just post anything. But to be able to, and a lot of the messages that I'm getting are from parents of trans people saying, thank you for showing us that life can be great and fun and silly and, and joyful. And, and, you know, when my father-in-law passed away, uh, I did a, um, I filmed a little bit of his service and I put it on Instagram and because I wanted people to see that we do everything you do. We are your neighbors. We are your doctors and your lawyers and your teachers and your friends and your lovers and your relatives. We are, just as you said, we are absolutely everywhere in your neighborhood. 
you, you might not see us, but we're absolutely everywhere in your neighborhood. The reason I'm saying all this is because I really think some of the responsibility needs to lie in our laps, meaning the older LGBTQI generation. We need to be responsible, not only for being, leaving a historic footprint, but for creating safe spaces for this new generation to come out in. Because that's part of the problem. People are saying, oh, trans people, they're only 0.3 of the population. You don't know that. You have no idea how many we are because we don't know how many we are. That's we're true. We're still terrified to come out. Absolutely. We we're not standing up and being counted. Are you out of your tree? So my job, I feel, in my tiny little pea brain, my <laughs> job is to, to the best of my ability, as much as I possibly can, keep myself loud and vocal and continue to open in every possible way a space for LGBT people to land. Absolutely. I really yes. think that's a responsibility. And I, I think that's the reason for the creation of social media, quite frankly. Oh, I mean, 100%. I mean, I, I feel I feel the same way that you do. And I, and I live a lot of the... I'm, I subscribe to the same ideals, which is just small examples of a lived... of life lived are, are huge. They, they really are. Because I didn't, I didn't have a ton of that. I mean you know, whatever folks could talk about, you know, who might've been like, I guess Ellen had already been on a magazine or something. I wasn't allowed to watch that in my house, but that's also not a person that that wasn't accessible. You know, that's like not, mm. uh, that wasn't an accessible, I mean, she had to go into hiding first of all. <laughs> and second of all, like, yeah. you know, it's not like I got to that's see, right. like you're saying uh, snippets of a, of a funeral or of a breakfast, you know, like I didn't get to see any of that stuff. And and so it, it is those small moments that make you think that you do that there there is a reason to stay on this planet, you know, and that there is a reason to mm-hmm. uh, be connected to other people. I completely agree with you on that, and I, I I live the same way. So we have that we have that in common, and I, I respect I respect that so much. It's what I'm trying to do all the time, and um, I also think, you know, when we talk about this current administration, I don't know. This is just me. I'm curious what you think about this. I don't know that this is just me, but I'm curious what you think about this because you're clearly a smart person. Um, I just feel like another thing that that is so disappointing to me is, I mean, so so clearly this person that is in the White House is um, setting themselves up for personal financial gain. Like that's just so clear in, um, clearly woven into every bit of policy. It's, it's, it's mostly, you know, the white house right now is mostly so that like, uh, the fake president and his family can like, whatever, set up their future hotel, the expand their hotel empire or whatever. I mean, I really think that that's most of what's happening. And so these small, um, these huge things in our lives or these huge social changes to me are it's like it it hurts a little bit more because I know like you said he doesn't care and yes I think that can come from fear but I also think it can come from just distraction like that's not why he's there you know like I don't think he's he's not like a Mike Pence who's motivated by some internal compass on anything not that Mike Pence is okay but I think he's just motivated financially so we're fighting um apathy as much as anything you know, it's it's not just that he doesn't care because of fear, although I think that's true. I think he also doesn't care because his end game is bottom line. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think absolutely right. I think that um, it's 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 it, it, it's as I said. It's he he. It's not that he doesn't understand foreign policy. It's that it's it doesn't enter into him, with the exception of how he does his. His pretend business. Right. You know, Donald Trump doesn't have a lot of money. Right. Um, he's, he, you know, a lot of what happens is he, he, he buys and sells and then goes bankrupt and then, and then fixes it. And so there's a great influx of money, which then has to go out to pay all of his creditors. Yeah, it's a shell game. His tax. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, it's very clever. Which is why when people are like, he's an idiot, I'm like, no, <laughs> he's not an idiot. That's <laughs> not true at all. He, that guy knows exactly what he's doing. So, no, he's not an idiot. So uh, then for us, but certainly, oh, no, go, ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, you know, certainly, I mean, it, you know, 
certainly, I believe that he has certain uh, convictions, but none of them are moral. He's not right. an immoral person. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's an amoral, amoral person. Amoral, he yes, is, amoral, yes, amoral. I agree, yes. He's, he's a human who, who has a lack of morals all right. together. So there really is no reason to condemn someone like that because when, when you have someone who's that empty, the, any kind of energy you put towards this person is utterly wasted. I watch people just get exasperated screaming at the television. And I'm like, you might as well stand in front of a tree and yell at the tree about how long their roots are. And that's <laughs> about how much you're just not gaining any ground here, kids. So for me, his, his life's work has been about how to be, in his mind, what is successful. And that, as far as we can tell, means... Uh, gaining a lot of things and money. Yes. So his whole MO for becoming president of the United States was exactly what you say is, is how, because he's planning on, uh, on uh, what he's going to do when he leaves. That's why the Saudi Arabia thing is so important to him because he, he does business with these people. So right. he, he knows he can't you know, be a big jerk. He does a lot of business in Russia. He's got a lot of hotels that are attached to the Russian government and so on and so forth. Um, so I was just going to say, he, I was just agreeing with you, really. He's just setting up a lot of stuff. The only, I'm always for solutions. So here's the reason. I, That's I what I was just going to ask like you. I was going to be like, yeah, okay, I so think, you're smart. Tell me I what we think, do now. <laughs> uh, well, I don't. I'm not smart at all. That's not true at all. But I do think that for us, just in li- the, the question I always get asked a lot from humans is, I'm an ally of the LGBT people. What can I do? And so I always have a list of things because people always ask that question and, and everybody goes, well, you can be kind and you can be compassionate. And I'm always like, yeah. And then you can A, B, C, D, and E. Here are the things you can do. Now take your list and go do them. Because I don't need someone to speak for me. I need someone to speak with me. So I don't need you to hold my hand and be my friend. I couldn't care less if you like me. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care how you feel about me. I would much prefer that you honor me. So when I look at the government that we're faced with right now, my whole idea revolves around what can I do every single day. And one of the things that I have found that works really, really well is to converse with the people who believe the complete opposite of what I believe. To reach across to someone and go to those places, go to those schools, go to those universities, go to those rallies and speak to, and I mean speak, not scream, not yell, not throw things. Speak to the humans that disagree with you the most. Those are the greatest conversations we have yet to have. And that is going to be the beginning of how we heal as a country. Because he's going to leave and we will be in tatters. And we've got to start now picking up the pieces. Because if we don't, we're going to turn around and it's going to be too goddamn late. Mm. I, I feel like for me, I was doing that for a long time. You know, through my, through my work, travel, speak on stage as a comic and try to have people. I, was, I always would say I wanted folks to meet me, you know, like get on stage and meet me um, so that they wouldn't want to kill me, you know, like, cause I'm, I'm friendly. I'm funny. <laughs> like, I'm like, you know, like meet, meet me and hear about my life and see that we're the same. And then, and then, uh, and then vote on my rights correctly or whatever. I feel like for me, I've had a big change since the election where I just feel, and I'm, I'm really glad that that's where you're called right now. And I, I feel called more to, and, and this might be because I'm a, uh, queer person with privilege on a bunch of different vectors. Like I'm a white person, I'm a cisgender person, and I'm a person with um, some financial stability. You know, like there are a lot of ways in which I feel like I can kind of be the uh, a queer person who's had it. You know, like like that's, that's sort of the shift mm-hmm. that's happened for me where like before I was very happy being um, the person who did what you're talking about and like only gay person on the lineup, like cheers, Red, like bring me in there, you know, uh, performing in a place where I feel hostility. Great. Yes. Love it. Um, and now I just, I feel, um, I feel, yeah, I feel called to be somebody who, uh, 
is communicating at the very least just frustration because, you know, I think that something that was told to, or that I heard told to, to me, um, from folks on the left was that there wasn't really that much at stake. Um, there were some folks who were saying that the idea that like, eh, it doesn't really matter who's in the white house. Um, and for me right now, I just feel like I, I am somebody who I can just be like, Oh, fuck you for saying that. <laughs> like, that's where, that's where I am on my rotation in terms of, um, reaching out or like, I feel very much with my, with my LGBT family. And I feel like folks have to prove it to me that they are deserving of my attention. It's really the first time I've ever felt that way in my life. And by that, I mean, well, I like, think that's great. Listen, yeah. I certainly don't mean to say, here's what you should do. I certainly don't mean that. You know, who am I? So oh, no, different perspectives. As, as long as, yeah, absolutely. I think as long as, as you're active, my point is, if we sit around and do nothing, mm-hmm. if we sit around and constantly say, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Then that's where we're going to end up. So as long as you're doing something that isn't somehow benefiting someone besides yourself, <laughs> as long as it's not feeding, right? Yes. As long as it's yes. not feeding your ego, then I'm all for it. I mean, I tell my students this all the time. If you're in this business to get rich and famous, get out, because I don't know how to teach that. Mm. I have no idea how to do, do those things. And even if I did know how to do those things, I wouldn't be teaching it. It doesn't interest me. So as long as it's not about, uh, it's not, as long as your activism is not self-serving, it doesn't have to be the thing that makes you crazy or the thing that's going to drive you insane or the thing that other people are doing. You can create your own thing as long as it's in service of other humans. That's my point. Yeah. I love that. Oh, friend, we are almost at the end of this conversation. And, um, oh my God, I can tell that you're a good lecturer. What, what classes do you teach right now? I think so. Yes. I, uh, teach acting. Yeah. But like what, what to the, uh, well, it's, um, difficult to explain, but it's uh, it's 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 um, the appreciation of art and how actors do what they do. And I teach the MFAs, the master students at USC, and then I teach the uh, BAs at USC, and that's uh, what I do. I also teach through the Steppenwolf Theater, um, which is a theater in Chicago, which I'm and, very familiar um, with. I've been doing that since then. Oh, good. Um, I work with them, been working with them since about 1996. Mm. And so we have classes out here in LA as well. So I do that. And then, um, yeah, so that's what I do. So I'm not really a lecturer, but I do, I, I, weirdly, I don't talk a lot in class. We do stuff more than I talk a lot. Sure. Strangely. But I, I, you know, I give talks a lot. And so that's probably why my mouth is so big. Like, <laughs> but I said at the beginning of the conversation, like, shut up, Alex. Like, shut up. No, no, the, no, the opposite. This is that. This was the time. Oh, this, right. A podcast is that. Is that? Okay. Is that great talk time? Well, I uh, want to ask you before uh, I send you back into your day, um, uh, if uh, you would shout out a queero. So what that is, it's like a person, place, or thing that made you feel comfortable being who you are today. Kate Bornstein. There it is. <laughs> there, there Kate she is. Kate Bornstein. Well, well, because yeah, Kate Bornstein. Um, that was just a fast wrote- answer. I loved it. Well, because she, she, first of all, she was the first person that came into my heart. If you pr- ask me tomorrow, it will probably be someone different. Yes. But um, she's the first person that came into my heart. And um, I mean, I can name about five others, you know, Harvey Milk and I, a bunch of other people. Uh, Maya Angelou, Marianne Williamson. See, now you got me going. <laughs> uh, but the reason I love Kate is because she will do anything. She's fearless. She's, she is self uh, she's a self-made human being. And by that, I mean, she, she's taken the word transgender and she's twisted it into a, a thing that, that is sort of constantly shifting and changing. And she continues to challenge gender and gender identity in a really revolutionary way. That's less about like, let's eradicate men and women. Let's eradicate those two words. And more about hey, let's keep those two words and then add nine million other words, which is one of the reasons I like her. Mm -hmm. Because strangely, inclusion is now super radical. 
And she is sort of the queen of that. Mm, that's awesome. So, yeah. Alexander, besides um, besides your work on Transparent, wh- is there anywhere else that that you want to let our listeners know that they could watch some of your work? Uh, I I have some things, but I can't really talk about Ooh, them right now because okay. nothing's signed. I know, I know. Isn't it? It's very Greta Garbo of me, secrecy and all. Yes. I, uh, yeah, I can't really say much of anything. Okay. So we're filming the last season of, of Transparent. That's happening. Um, and it'll be our final season. It'll be our, our goodbye, and it should be a great farewell. It's uh, Jill Soloway has really outdone herself. She <laughs> really, God, she's out of her tree in the best possible way. But... Uh, so I'm doing that. I start I start rehearsing that in about a week. And um, so people can look for that probably in September on Amazon. So okay. that's about the only thing I can talk about. All right. Well, friend, you take care of yourself. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much for making time. Thanks, love.